And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. The title of this episode is The Dark Side of David. Welcome to Preach the Word with Brother Dean Carmichael of Greensboro. And now let's welcome our dear friend, Brother Dean. What can we say about King David? The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The word of God tells us that King David was a man after God's own heart. Saul had filled as king. Samuel is instructed to go to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons. God rejects the first seven sons of Jesse, but then he sends Samuel to find David in the sheep pasture to be anointed. And David was a shepherd. David learned how to use the slingshot, and he would, he would shepherd over these sheep, and he defended them from a lion and from a bear. And there he would find solitude and get close to God and seek after him. He was also a singer. We know that King Saul was very troubled by an evil spirit, and the music of David would comfort him. His talent as a musician gave him fame in Israel, and he was also commanded by Saul on many occasions to play for him. But we also know David as a soldier. We think of Goliath. It was just the first of many battles with the Philistines. There are very bloody battles, great slaughters that are written all throughout the historical books. We see how he invaded the land of the Geshurites and the Jezrites and the Amalekites, how he destroyed the Amalekites to avenge what they did in Ziklag. The Amalekites would invade Ziklag, burn it with fire. They took the women and children captive. And we read about how David answered all that. He attacked the Jebusites in the city of Jebus and renamed it Jerusalem and made it the capital. There's the victory over the Ammonites and the Syrians. So many things that we can talk about David, not only as a shepherd, as a singer, as a soldier, as a man 
after God's own heart, as the greatest king of Israel. But in this sermon, we're going to look at how this was not always the case. There was actually another side of David. The title of this episode is The Dark Side of David. We're going to look at the side of David that we can relate to. We're going to talk about not only is mankind totally depraved, but we're also going to remind ourselves how gracious our God really is. When we look at the life of David, first of all, we see that it's not always pleasant. We focus on Goliath. We focus on Saul, about how David was the victim and how Saul would try to kill David. And we think of the, the Psalms that David wrote. But actually, when we look at the life of David, we see that it is not always pleasant when we focus on a man by the name of Uzzah. In 2 Samuel chapter number 6, verse 1 through 9, Uzzah was the individual, and I'm going to read these verses here. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, Again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, in Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which is a Gibeah accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made out of firwood, made of firwood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and called the name of the place Perizuzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Now, this is a typical story of doing the right thing, in the wrong way. During the time of Samuel, the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. They became very superstitious and sent it back on a cart to the field of Abinadab, which was eight miles west of Jerusalem. And while transporting the Ark to Jerusalem, the new capital, David had a passion and a love for God. So he wanted to bring that Ark back to Israel, put it in its capital, but he did it his way. And the results were absolutely catastrophic. God had ex very specific instructions on how to move the ark in Exodus 25 and Joshua chapter 3. And um, it, it was pretty much, it was constructed with rings on four corners and the staves were put through the rings and the ark was carried on the shoulders of the Levites. But David did things his way. And we read in that story how Uzzah, uh, because it was shaken, uh, by the oxen, he went to grab it and immediately fell over and died. This shows this darker side of David. This shows the flesh that comes out. This shows us as believers 
who love God and want to please Him, but oftentimes we will try to do things our way. We want to do the right thing, but we go about it the wrong way, which is we try to please the Lord on our terms, and we try to do things in our time, and we try to force it in our own way. Here's another example of a dark side of David. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We read the story here of David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 through 8. Listen carefully. And it came to pass, after the years was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her and came in unto him. And he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned into her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent unto David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. Now, this story will unfold as you read on. Uh, But David actually will end up uh, writing a letter uh, to Joab in Uriah's hand to try to get um, Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, in the heat of the battle. And that ends up happening And so uh, David, not only in this story, not only is he an adulterer, uh, but he is also a liar and he is a murderer. And also the child that is conceived there in this adulterous relationship ends up dying. Another example of the dark side of David was with his son Absalom. In 2 Samuel chapter number 13, this is a story of a very dark day in the life of David. Now, if you have children here, I'm not going to go into detail about about what happened, but obviously this is kind of a mature topic to talk about. So here in 2 Samuel chapter 13, we see a story of incest, of rape, of murder. Amnon raped his his own sister, Tamar. Um, These were the children of David. Absalom revenged her by killing his own brother. And now there is a rebellion that's going to be uh, led by Absalom um, against his own father in order to take his throne. Uh, He ends up dying. David's going to lose his son. He tells his men, please don't harm Absalom. But uh, Joab, as we mentioned earlier, he's one of David's um, main men as general. He would end up killing Absalom. Now, I did not go into detail in that story. I did not go um, to... There's more there. However, this is, these are stories of very c- catastrophic things that happened in the life of David. There's also a 
another story of the dark side of David. And this is actually known as David's great sin. And this is where in 2 Samuel chapter 24, David would take a census of the people and put his faith in, in statistics instead of God. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. When we look at the life of David, there is a dark side. Number one, it is not always pleasant. Number two, when we look at the life of David, it is not always positive. It's not always helpful. When you look at the book of Psalms, Psalms is a book of devotion. It's a book for God's people. If there is one book in the Bible that offers encouragement, but also offers even empathy, thinking that the person who is writing, you, can, you know that this individual loves God and that this individual is going through things that you're going through now. And a lot of times the individual you're reading is none other than David. It's such a positive uh, time, it's such a positive book to read. It, it, the circumstances are not always positive, but the results are positive because you're encouraged in the Lord. Psalms is a book of devotion of God's people. There's devotional teaching, historical, prophetic, intercessory, judgmental. There's exalting. You divide them up into five sections. It parallels the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's known as the hymns of the Hebrews. Seventy-three of those psalms were written by David. They were helpful. They were personal. They were so relevant. But when we see the life of David, it's not always positive. Sometimes you have a scenario where his enemies are trying to kill him because of his stance with God. Think of Saul. Saul wants to kill David. He's jealous of David. But this is not because David messed up and he was carnal and he got his eyes off God and wanted to please his flesh. This happened because David loved God. This happened because David was a man after God's own heart and Saul failed his king and he was jealous and anger and rage uh, dwelled up in his heart against David. But that is not the case with Absalom, David's son. This is not the case with Bathsheba. This is not the case with Uriah or Uzzah. This is not the case where David with these individuals got his eyes off God. David had a dark side. When we look at the life of David, we see that it's not always perfect. The Bible says in Job chapter 14 verse 1, Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Romans chapter 3 verse number 10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14, this is the verse talking about Saul. And Samuel's talking to Saul here, but notice what is said about David. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. That is Samuel talking to Saul. The Lord has sought him a man 
after his own heart. That is David. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept which the Lord commanded thee. David is mentioned as a man after God's own heart. Again, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony, and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You may ask, why? How is David a man after God's own heart? Was he not a murderer, an adulterer, a liar? Was there not a dysfunctional family? It wasn't because of his sin, but in spite of his sin. Underneath it all, here is a man who loved God, who longed for him. This is why God said he was a man after his own heart. The great Adrian Rogers once said, David was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. Listen to the words of this psalm. Psalm chapter number 51. This is after David had sinned and committed adultery. In our introduction, I was reading the verses where Nathan the prophet would approach David and he would confront him in the form of that story to show him what he'd done with Uriah and Bathsheba was wrong. And, and when you listen to those verses, David was angry when he, when he heard the story about the little lamb and, and the, the man that came in and, and took it from the individual and, and prepared it. And he was angry and he said, that man's gonna, he's gonna die from this. And then Nathan looked at him and said, thou art the man. And David would, would, he would repent from this. And, and listen to the words here. This is a man after God's own heart. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, this is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who acknowledges that he sinned. This is a man who loves God and wants nothing more than to be in a good relationship with him. In Psalms chapter 103, verse 12, the Bible tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives... He forgets. 
What does the Bible say about forgiveness? According to Strong's Concordance, forgiveness in the Greek means to release from bondage or imprisonment, and in the Hebrew, to pardon or forgive. In this psalm, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is using poetry to express how his sins have been forgiven and removed completely. Regarding this passage, the great C.H. Spurgeon said, Sin is removed from us by a miracle of love. What a load to move, and yet it is removed so far that the distance is incalculable. Fly as far as the wing of imagination can bear you, and if you journey through space eastward, you are further from the west in every beat of your wing. If sin be removed so far, then we may be sure that the scent, the trace, the very memory of it must be entirely gone. The miracle of love that C.H. Spurgeon is referring to is despite how vile and wretched we are, our sins can be forgiven and forgotten by a holy and righteous God. We claim our sins are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. We can claim that. It, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. As Adam and Eve stood guilty before a holy and righteous God, he promised them that he would send us a redeemer through the seed of the woman. Adam would put his faith in God that he would do this. He named his wife Eve, which means the mother of all living. And immediately following this, the blood of an innocent animal was shed and their nakedness was covered. This typified what Jesus Christ would do for us. He shed his innocent blood and became sin for us. And because God was pleased with his sacrifice, we can be declared righteous by his blood. Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and 9, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This wrath that Paul is speaking of is the payment of our sin, which is death in hell. Because of what Jesus Christ did, we can be saved through this wrath and have eternal life by repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, in the Old Testament time, they exercised this faith by looking to the coming Messiah, that God would provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. King David was one of the greatest men to ever live. He was Israel's greatest king. As we mentioned earlier, he writes 73 of these 150 psalms. He's known for being man's after God's, a man after God's own heart. But he had a dark side. Just like we have a dark side. We are, as Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. A shepherd, a singer, a soldier, a child of God. But yet, he had a dark side. No matter how much good we try to do, there's always going to be that sin in our life. There's always going to be guilt. There's always going to be shame. There's going to be sorrow for our sin. 
This is so true, but we are new creatures in Christ, Christ Jesus. We have been declared righteous, and we are redeemed. Now, in closing, the one thing that's, that's really important uh, when you look um, at, at, at the Bible, um, in, in this, this time period when, when David commits his sin with Bathsheba, the Ammonite-Syrian War, uh, which is also covered in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, is taking place. And while Israel's besieging Rabbi, uh, this is when David remains at Jerusalem, and that's when he finds Bathsheba, and uh, they commit adultery. And then afterwards, um, you know, David writes a letter to Joab, pretending to be Uriah, requesting to be in the heat of the battle. Joab honors this, uh, puts Uriah with the valiant men, who would, of course, die in battle. And then David is an adulterer. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Nathan approaches him, and David, uh, he repents. And so now we come to Psalm 103. Very important that we, we understand this. Notice what Spurgeon says. Doubtless by David, it is in his own style when at its best, we should attribute it to his later years when he had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon because a keener sense of sin than in his younger days. His clear sense of the frailty of life indicates his weaker years as also does the very faintness of his praiseful gratitude. This is a man who is saying as far as the east is from the west. He's looking back on his life. Yes, he had a dark side. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, there is a lot of things that you can, a lot of sins that we're not going to be comfortable talking about um, in, a, in a church setting uh, that, that is in the story of David. However, God forgave David because David repented. Real quickly, I want to point your attention to one thing. There were 12 historical books in the Old Testament. Six of the 12 historical books cover the time period between Saul and Zedekiah. First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings cover the events as do the book of First and Second Chronicles. The two books of Samuel and the two books of Kings are actually known as the book of Kings. So the book of Samuel are believed to be written by Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. And the book of First and Second Kings is unknown, but it was written during the time of, of the temple, of the first temple was still standing. The book of Chronicles was believed to be written by Ezra, uh, mainly because of the style of the book. And uh, there is a striking comparison between the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. Now, this all has, this all has to do with the sermon. This all has to do about how when God forgives, he forgets. Now, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, listen to what he has to say about this in his book, Briefing the Bible. We're talking about the historical books of the Kings and of the Chronicles. The Kings are the four books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then Chronicles, of course, is 1 and 2 Chronicles. So listen to what Dr. J. Vernon McGee says. Although they cover the same ground from Saul to Zedekiah, they are not duplications. 
Greek translators gave Chronicles the title of Things Omitted. There is more here which does not occur in the other historical books. This is another instance of the law of reoccurrence or recapitulation seen previously in Genesis 2 and Deuteronomy, by which God goes over ground which had already been covered in order to add details to emphasize that which he considers important. This is exactly the case in Chronicles. David is the subject of 1 Chronicles. The house of David is prominent in 2 Chronicles. Chronicles gives the history of Judah while practically ignoring the northern kingdom. Now, although, and, and, and that's the end of the quote, so this is me talking, but although all of these books are inspired by the Holy Spirit, these historical books were written from a different viewpoint. So the four book of Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, present the history from the viewpoint of man. For example, if you go to the New Testament and you look at the Gospels, each Gospel is written from a different viewpoint to a different group of individuals, and it presents Jesus Christ in a different way. They're all inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, but they are, they are different. Uh, Matthew is writing to the Jews. He's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Mark is writing to the Romans. He's presenting Jesus as a servant. Luke is writing to the Greeks. He's presenting Jesus as a son of man, the perfect man. And then John is writing to the world. He's presenting Jesus as the son of God. Well, in these historical books, they're all inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, but the books of the Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, was written from the viewpoint of man. It was written um, from the viewpoint of the throne. But Chronicles is written from the viewpoint of God, is written from the viewpoint of the altar. So when we go back to our text, we see that in the book of Chronicles that God completely leaves out David's sin with Bathsheba. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Quoting here, it says, Chronicles does not record David's sin. When God forgives, he forgets. The temple and Jerusalem are prominent in Chronicles. In Kings, the history of the nation is given from the throne. In Chronicles, it's given from the altar. In Kings, the palaces is the center. In Chronicles, the temple is the center. Kings records the political history. Chronicles records the religious history. Chronicles is an interpretation of Kings, hence the constant reference in Kings through Chronicles. Kings gives us man's viewpoint. Chronicles gives us God's viewpoint. And David, who had a dark side, was forgiven. He repented. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he did things that Christians should not do. But God is gracious. God is merciful. Friend, if you're listening to this and you are feeling shame and you are feeling remorse, please understand a couple things. Number one, when you look at Psalm 51, if you have already came to that place, the Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance. If you have already came to that place where you know what you did was wrong and you have asked 
God to forgive you, and you are truly sorry, and you have not returned to that sin. Being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted does not mean you are relapsing or giving back into a sin. You have turned away, you have repented from something, but now you are still feeling shame and remorse. I want to be very clear that that is not God. That is a most likely a supernatural power, but that is demonic, that is satanic. That is the enemy trying to keep you in your shame and prevent you from doing anything for the Lord. See, when God convicts us of sin, he doesn't do it so he can punish us. God convicts us of sin simply because he wants to restore us. If you have truly repented of your sin, you have realized your error, and you want to get back to God, and like David, a man after God's own heart, you want to uh, let the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart be pleasant in the sight of God, and you want to have a relationship with God, you want to grow, and you feel great sorrow for what you did, and you repent and you ask God to forgive you, I'm here to tell you, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. It's extremely important that we understand God is gracious. God is merciful. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Until next time. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to Preach the Word with Brother Dean Carmichael from Greensboro. You can email Brother Dean, Preach the Word 87 at Outlook.com. Preach the Word 87 at Outlook.com. You also can follow our dear friend Brother Dean Carmichael on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Dean Carmichael Jr.